Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by talking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by Mancunian chef and restaurant owner, Murray Ellen McTague. Murray Ellen describes how dropping out of university to pursue a career in cooking led her to work for one of the most famous chefs in the country. I went to Waterstones on Deansgate and I bought a copy of the Good Food Guide and read it cover to cover and then just wrote to 10 places and just said, I've got no experience, I really love cooking, I want to cook professionally, please take me on. And most of them wisely ignored me. A few of them replied and Heston was one of the first to reply. And she'll tell us about what she considers to be the similarities between chefs and musicians. I think the adrenaline of doing a service must be similar to doing a show because afterwards everyone needs to kind of taper off. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the studio a Mancunian woman who's made quite a name for herself on the UK's culinary scene in recent years and uh, she's become something of a regular on uh, our radio sets and television sets as well. Mary Ellen McTague, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Lovely Very glad to, to see be you. here. 
I was in your establishment recently, wasn't I? Yeah. The creameries and uh, having a nice, uh, wonderful experience as always. We're going to talk about your current situation in a minute too. We're going to talk about Manchester. That's the main thing that we do on these podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but let's start... Where am I new boy, Mary Ellen? Was it Bury? It was, yeah. I was born in Bury, uh, Fairfield Hospital, and grew up. I lived in Bury till I was, um, well, till I was 18, till I went to uni in Manchester. Right. So you've never strayed too far from home then? Well, I have, actually. I kind of, when I, when I quit uni to start cooking, I went all over the place. I was, my first job was up in the lakes, and then I ended up in the States for a couple of years. I tried to America. And then, yeah, and then uh, down in Bray, where I worked, when I worked at the Fat Duck, I was there for four years. So I spent about 10 years, actually, um, living away from Manchester, but was always just desperate to get back, really. Yeah, um, yeah. it was it was really good to come home. I know that feeling, it's, it's yeah. that kind of place, isn't it? Let's talk about your childhood then. What are your memories of growing up in Bury? Well, we lived um, outside of Bury, so more on the, sort of up, it was Greenmounts up towards, um, or Hawkshire rather, up towards uh, Ramsbottom in Bolton that way. So it was quite, it was a little bit countrified, so we weren't, it wasn't like... Um, sort of the the city really or, or the town even but I was I was one of six kids I am one of six kids and my parents each have uh, they're, they're each from a family of six so we had this huge huge Irish Catholic family so I think my memories are mainly a, about just being surrounded by loads of people loads of noise loads of food lots of food uh yeah yeah. And yeah. Did, did your interest in food start back then? I think so. My mum's a really good cook and my eldest sister, she sort of, she helped out a bit sort of making tea for us and she became a really good cook. And then I think when I started home ec, um, when I was at, at high school, whenever it was, year, year two or three, um, I just really loved it. I loved the fact that I could make something and take it home and give it to people and they'd really enjoy it. It was a really nice feeling. A nice first step into the wonderful world of chefing. Uh, What about music? Did you get into music as a kid? Yeah, massively. Music is and has always been a huge part of my life. And Mm. my my world in Manchester, my my social groups and networks are all based around music. There's um, a sort of friends who are in a band that is them and and their sort of connections through their practice studios and stuff is kind of the focal point for it for all the people I know really that I I know and love and hang around with but growing up yeah I mean my first I think my first purchase that I made for myself was um Voice of the Beehive when I was probably about eight or nine I think um, I mean, I liked uh, and still do like a load of crap as well, obviously, <laughs> like, you know, um, but yeah, my, my brother's a musician. He's he's just a little bit older than me and he um, he started playing guitar quite early on. So in fact, my whole family is quite musical. I'm the only one that isn't actually. I don't actually play an instrument. I just really love to listen to music. Can you sing? I do sing a lot. Give us a song. No, I no. sing. So I sing a lot really badly by myself. Right. I do a lot of car singing. So my children get the the joy of hearing me uh, wail along to quite a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but no, I love to sing, um, but I can't sing. I can't play any instruments, but mu- music's always been huge for me. What were the first gigs you remember seeing? Um, so I was a bit of an indie kid when I kind of first started buying Enemy and Melody Maker and um, I kind of realised there was a uniform. So I got my DMs and my uh, checked pants and a velvet jacket and used to go and hang out at Monty's in Bury right. on a Friday night for the indie night massively underage Uh, (laughs) (laughs) they really didn't seem to care Um, half my school was there so first bands I went to see that I really loved um, Tetsy Fly was a gig I went to see at the boardwalk in the early 90s Elastica as well I loved Elastica yeah and people used to say I looked a little bit like the bassist um, Donna 
Stem yeah. of the bassist, she's the guitarist. Anyway, um, so I remember going to see Elastica. Just yeah, all the all the indie bands um, whenever I could. And you ended up working at one of the, the most iconic venues the city's ever known. At the end up at the Roadhouse, didn't you? I working did. in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, well, I started off on the bar, um, and it was three friends of mine. So um, Guy and Pete from Albo, they mm. my brother grew up with them, so I became friends with my brother, and they worked there. So they got me a job behind the bar. But it was whilst I was working there that I kind of had my eureka moment, decided I needed to leave uni and, and go into cooking instead. Right. So I, it was because I overheard Kate um, Kate Mountain, who was then the owner of my boss and later on became my business partner at Ormbury. But I overheard her chatting to someone saying that they needed someone to do the food yeah. in order to keep the late licence. Uh, and I knew I liked cooking, so I just kind of, I just offered my services and ended up doing the bar food and catering for touring bands, which I really loved because they'd have, some of the bands would have like really strange um, dietary requirements, like macrobiotic. And so I had to be quite creative and I really enjoyed that. But it was there that I realised I didn't want to carry on at uni and I wanted to cook professionally instead. So it's a massively pivotal part of my life working at, at the Roadhouse. I'm guessing you must have cooked for some pretty famous people back then. They might not have been famous at the time, but... Well, I remember so, Muse playing, and I—I I mean, I cooked for most people that that played there. We had three or four gigs a week on. I remember Muse. Coldplay. Did you do Coldplay? They played there. I do. I don't think I worked no. that one. I missed. I missed the Coldplay. I interviewed Chris Martin once for another yeah. radio station that I used to be involved with. He—he uh, he was saying about in the early days, he used to love going up and down the country in a transit van and yeah. stopping at the motorway services and getting the uh, Ginsters pies. Yes, it's a great advertisement for Ginsters. I yeah. never did do, do anything <laughs> with it. I should have sent it to him. Well, they but, should have sent you some pasties. That would have been great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I've still got the audio. I could probably use that actually. Yeah, I you should contact Chris and say, "I do. Want, let's sell this idea to Ginsters and we'll go halves on it." Um, <laughs> you left the Roadhouse. Did you leave before it closed? Or were you still there when it yeah, closed? Yeah, yeah. I left. Kate and I had Ombre together in Presswich for five years. It was. It was. The Roadhouse closed after Ormbury did, actually. That was that must have been 2015 that, that it closed. Right. And Ormbury closed in 2014. So she still had both places when we were when we were in business together. So, yeah, it was still a hugely influential uh, venue yeah. uh, at the time I kind of left to go and go off and cook. What's happening now? Is it still empty? You know? It's still empty, yeah. I don't know what's happening with that building. Right. Somebody asked me yesterday, I just randomly got a text last night from a friend of mine saying, What's happening with the Roadhouse? I don't know. Uh, you wrote to Eston Blumenthal, didn't you? I did. Well, more than once. Yeah. Um, I, well, I only wrote to him once, but I, um, when I decided that I wanted to stop doing studies and start cooking, I didn't really know how to go about it. So I, I went to Waterstones on Deansgate and I bought a copy of the Good Food Guide and read it cover to cover, and then just wrote to ten places and just said, "I've got no experience. I really love cooking. I want to cook professionally. Please take me on." And most of them wisely ignored me. And um, <laughs> a few of them replied. And Heston was one of the first to reply. He, he rang me, actually, a few days after I sent the letter. He said, come in for a chat. So I went down to Bray a few days later and, and had lunch and then met him. And he was really lovely. And he, yeah. he, But he said, we don't take on complete novices. You need to go away and get some experience and, and then come back once you've had a few years cooking. The other positive response was from Sharrow Bay um, Hotel up in the Lake District, which mm. at the time was, it was really highly regarded, had Michelin star. It was um, and just a really, really beautiful place and still is a really stunning part of the world. Um, so I went up there and I joined the housekeeping team. And then I didn't let them forget that I was supposed to be going into the kitchen. So I'd ask probably several times a week if it was definitely still happening. Right, so you were cleaning, doing... doing like, I was, yeah, doing housekeeping, right. which was really hard work. I mean, it's the hardest work I'd ever done right. up until 
I started working in the kitchen and then I realised that that was really hard work. <laughs> um, but it was, um, but it was good. It was fun. It was just something I was kind of doing whilst I waited for this position to become available in the kitchen. So I did a few months in housekeeping and then went into the kitchen. And I think, I mean, I was the first woman they'd ever had in the kitchen. They had a woman who came once a year to make marmalade for the season. Mm. And they, they had women working in what they called the bakehouse, which was like the desserts kitchen. But in the main kitchen, there'd just never, ever been a woman in there. Right. Was it an unusual experience? Did you just crack on with it? Um, yeah, it was pretty unusual. Um, they were really confused, I think. So the head <laughs> chefs, there were three head chefs. They'd been there sort of 20, 30 years at that point. So they, they just did not know what to do with me. So I think for about a year, they wouldn't speak to me directly. They'd only speak to me through the medium of one of the younger chefs. Really? Who was less scared of speaking to a woman. <laughs> did you end up marrying one of them? Mm, I did end up marrying one of them. Lawrence, my, yeah. Yeah, my ex-husband. He, yeah. um, we met at Charabay. Um, we have two children. Yeah, We met at Charabay and then we uh, we had Aubrey together. So yeah, we cooked together a lot. Right. And you, you went off to the States, didn't you, soon after yes. Charabay? Yeah, well, Lawrence had gone there first. So he, um, he had a scholarship through the, his um, catering college and went out to the state so I just kind of went out and joined sort of followed my boyfriend out to America and we went to somewhere quite strange I mean it's like it's not somewhere you would pick as a holiday destination although it's it's in the top 10 holiday destinations for Americans apparently so this is Branson Missouri um, which is a bit like um, it's a bit like a redneck Blackpool I suppose it was Yakov's magic pet show. So it was like Blackpool. <laughs> Blackpool's great. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and there was Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede was another of the theatres. So it was, the, the the town was just, it was, um, there was a strip, what they called the strips so of the main road through town, and there was just theatres and shows uh, and malls either side of it. There was no, like, cafes or museums or libraries or anything. Right. It was quite weird. And it was also the home of the KKK. Really? Yeah, so it was a pretty... Um, uh, sort of politically and socially very divided yeah. kind of place. It was also like learnt a lot on the cooking side and met some really wonderful people as well, some lifelong friends. And when you came back to the UK, you got in touch with uh, Heston again and he sorted, yeah. you, sorted you a gig out, didn't he? He did, yeah, he gave me a job. Proper job. Uh, and yeah. this is when he was an household name then, wasn't he, still at this time? He was. So when I started there, he had two mission stars, he'd done some telly, he'd written a couple of cookbooks, um, but he wasn't as sort of well-known as he is now. During my first year working there, he just went stratospheric and got he got his third star, which was um, despite me, not, <laughs> not because of me. And I voted uh, Best Restaurant in the World at the World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards. Is this which, the Heinz Head we're talking about? No, this is the Fat Duck. Right, Fat so Duck. So the Heinz Head he bought a few years after I started working there. And then my last year working for Heston, I was doing historical research and development at the Heinz Head, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, I got to work with and meet some really amazing food historians and I got access to all these um, really ancient cookbooks. And it really, uh, that's that's a huge area of interest for me now is historical food and sort of food culture and food history in this country because I think we've had a bit of a, a bad rep in, you know, in the last couple of centuries, really. Mm. There's somewhere where you don't get great food. But um, yeah, learning sort of all about what happened with our food culture and why in France and Italy and Spain, you still get these amazing hams and cheeses and these traditions that have been handed down and why that kind of died out here and stuff. It's, um, and there's been a huge revival in that as well. So Is that going to be a TV series by any chance? It uh, sounds like one, doesn't it? It does sound like <coughs> one. I'd really like it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's dead interesting and there's a lot to talk about there. So, yeah. yeah, telly. What was that really cool thing that you did at Manchester Museum not long ago? What was that all about? I did my first 
event for Manchester International Festival was at Manchester Museum. Yeah. So it was called High Team Wonderland. It was sort of in uh, tandem with the Wonder.Lands musical that Damon Albarn had done um, for the festival that year. And it was kind of, we got um, the herbarium department of the museum allowed us access to the top floor where they've got all the specimens and it's just, it was an absolutely amazing space to work in. And so we created a kind of, it's like an Alice in Wonderland through the rabbit hole kind of journey involving food and set dressing and music and lighting and costume and I just absolutely loved it. So then when they invited me back to do one in 2017, um, I was uh, thrilled. It's a great thing, the Manchester International Festival. It's a brilliant, brilliant time to be around the city centre. Let's talk about some of these awards that you've won over the years. Restaurant of the Year 2012, Manchester Food and Drink Awards. Chef of the Year 2013, same company, Manchester Food and Drink. Chef of the Year 2014, Cheshire Life. Chef of the Year 2014, Lancashire Life. The list is endless. You must have a big mantelpiece for all these, Mary Allen. Is that right? They're actually, they are... um, they're not on the mantelpiece, but they're on, on the sideboard. Just to remind the kids um, <laughs> yeah, what it is, yeah. I do. <laughs> Why I'm never home. Let's talk yeah. about your kids. Paddy and Joe, how old yeah. are they now? So they are eight and ten. Yeah. Joe's going to be 11 soon and he's going to high school in September. Mad, isn't it? How, yeah. how time flies God, like that. it's crazy. And how are they with food? Do they appreciate good food? They do. They are, I mean, they've they've obviously been massively fussy. They're not like, you know, they were toddlers and they were just, they wouldn't. There was a time when they would... I think just to be contrary, they would only eat what the other one wouldn't eat. So there was a time, there's a period when Joe would only eat plain pasta and Paddy would only eat pasta sauce. He'd make a, a meal and be able to divide it exactly in half. And But that's, nowadays... That's, that's psychological warfare with the mum, that, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Well, this, I think it's the one area of their life they have some control over. They can actually refuse to put food in their mouth, so yeah. they do. But nowadays, they're both really... They're both quite adventurous. Again, they still eat completely different things, but they're quite adventurous with it. Paddy is, he's a flavour guy, definitely. Yeah. He he likes to have a fried egg in the morning with balsamic vinegar, soy sauce, mustard and ketchup on. Oh, brilliant. It's just all the flavours yeah. uh, uh, on one plate. And it's good to be aware of that stuff at that age as well. So yeah. Some kids are just all about the chicken nuggets, aren't they? They are. I mean, they, they love it. They they don't, they're no help. Like they right. won't like, you know, help out, but they... Uh, do you do a lot of cooking it. at home then? I just do normal family food at home, just what is quick and easy and reasonably nutritious and, yeah. and sort of everyone's kind of going to like a lot of kind of pasta dishes and, and stuff. I try and do, when I've got a day off, I try and do sort of more adventurous stuff. The one thing that really got them trying different stuff was um, I used to do tacos every Tuesday and there'd be like there'd be some chicken and then some salad and some different, yeah, some different sort of vegetable bits and the tacos. Mm. And the first taco I made and they had to try, they had to have one with everything on. And then after that, they could have whatever they wanted. Yeah. So Joe would just have the crisps, just the tacos, and <laughs> yeah. just have the chicken. But <laughs> it kind of opened them up to trying stuff, for sure. And their dad's quite strict about that. Then they've developed this thing where, well, he's he's got a rule where they're not allowed to say they don't like something. They they have to say it's not to their taste, right. which is a good approach, I think. I think it's important that you present these, if not just a chef like yourself, but parents in general should be presenting kids with all these different alternatives from an early age, I think. Yeah. We, we do a lot of it. We have a Chinese hot pot that we use once every couple of weeks. We're considering giving them tripe. I don't think they've had tripe yet, but we're thinking of trying tripe on them. Yeah. Did you have tripe yet? Have you ever had no, oh. um, we didn't have that growing up. It was, it, so there was, our um, our local butcher always had tripe in the, like, on the display. Yeah. I was always curious about it, but it just wasn't one of our family foods. So I never it doesn't actually it. taste of anything. It's a, it's a texture thing, yeah. but you put pepper and 
vinegar and salt on it to give it a taste. But mm. Very olden thing. When I was a kid, it was everywhere. Tripe. Yeah. Brought up one tripe. I might have to give that a go, actually. Yeah. In fact, I definitely should. It probably now is a good time to do tripe because I don't think anybody's doing anything mm. cool with it. And that's usually where the great little uh, ideas come in. It is, yeah. You can have that you, one. Re- thank you very much. Um, um, I'll uh, give you a percentage. Yeah. McTag yeah. on tripe. <laughs> And you set up your uh, second restaurant recently, yep. Creameries, yep. which you're still involved with. You, you, you're not doing the, the cooking there now, you moved out no. of the kitchen. So I spent a year there kind of setting up and um, training up a kitchen team. And really the demands of, of uh, running a business and being a head chef are just, they're, they're crazy. You know, it's like it's a good 80 hour week physically working. Mm. And then when you're not there, you still need to be catching up on admin and HR and, and, and stuff. So it's just a very, very, very demanding job, which is fine short term. But with my kids getting a bit older and the older one going to high school, I've, I've decided that the day-to-day is best kind of left to someone younger and a bit more energetic. So you're still really. a partner in that. What still you, a partner, yeah. What are you going to be doing with your time then in the immediate future? So quite a bit of stuff out the cream race. I've got a food and drink quiz with Elliot Eastwick coming up next month. I've got um, a still life supper club, which I'm really excited about. So I've got a, an artist friend, Margit van der Zwan, and she she and I are teaming up and I'm going to create a still life centrepiece and she's going to do a guided drawing teaching class and then we eat the still life that's brilliant fun that's really class yeah. that, isn't it? Like that. be really good fun yeah. and then there's other dinners pop-up dinners i'm doing one at the courtyard dairy this week and then i'm can i just say you yeah. should use the strap line eat your heart out that is really good yeah. so we've been struggling with that just absolutely yeah you can have that coming up chumps today thanks yeah um tripe tripe and eat your heart out <laughs> <laughs> that's really good um, yeah so pop-up dinners and then i'm also trying to just carve out the time to write i've got a book that i've been working on for a little while but i've not had any time to um to properly kind of sit down and do it so i want to get that finished this year yeah who are the like we've got a lot of cooking books at home with all the yeah. big, big chefs and that who are your favorite uh tv chefs or celebrity chefs big chefs who are the ones that most inspired you well probably my favorite cook uh cookery author is jane Grigson. So she's, I mean, she passed away probably a good 30 years ago now. She was an absolutely incredible food writer, dead knowledgeable, knew all about the food history. And she would, she was dead interested as well in kind of local traditions and seeking out dishes that have been forgotten. Her books, you can just read as a book. It doesn't, like the the recipes are kind of almost incidental. They're just really lovely to read. Elizabeth David, similar. She she transformed kind of food in this country. So those two are are really... um, important for me Heston obviously the four years I spent working there were just absolutely incredible and have really kind of you know transformed my life Mm. I would say other than that uh, oh Angela Hartnett she's awesome she's also a massive laugh I've I've uh, had the joy of going out for dinner with her a couple of times and she's she's ace is she a part girl well I mean I don't want to say you know I don't want to cast aspersions but she's fun (laughs) she's yeah it's funny because I've met a few of these chef types like yourself and there is a there's a similarity with the 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 rock and roll people we're talking about you know the musicians it's very similar sort of spirit isn't there yeah Oh, totally. I think there are there are so many parallels. I think I've managed to have a career in music without actually being able to play any instruments or, or or sing or anything, because you know you start off, you learn a craft, and you have to get good at the basics. You have to know your instrument, and, and so you you need to sort of learn the basics of cooking, and then at, at a certain point you get competent enough to go off and create your own thing. Yeah, uh, and you have all your influences that inspire you, but effectively you end up doing your own thing. Um, the lifestyle can be quite rock and roll for yeah. sure. There's there's a lot of 
a lot of late nights and partying involved in cooking. I think the adrenaline of doing a service must be similar to doing a show because afterwards everyone needs to kind of, you know, taper off and, and, and stuff. So it's kind of, there are just, there are so many parallels um, apart from the money. Uh, I would say that's the one thing that the musicians win on. Well, not yeah, all. the successful ones, but, but yeah, I think again you've got that similarity of um, having an erratic income or you know a not yeah, very true. consistent income stream. Yeah, it can be you can be wedged up one minute and then have nothing for a few months after. Yeah. So we all know that feeling. Yeah. Let's talk about this city that we live in here. Yeah. Um, you said before you, you you love the place. What do you love about it? I think it's partly it's got to be partly my sort of my physical roots. I mean, my entire family has moved away apart from there's only my, my brother now out of all my siblings and my parents moved to France. And um, so out of my family, there's really only a couple of people left living in Manchester. But my, you know, my, my adopted family, my friends who are like family and a lot of whom I've been friends with since I was 14, 15, some younger than that, they're here. So my network is all, is here. But there's something about, I don't know, there's something about the city itself, not just my kind of emotional connections to people that I absolutely love. And I think it's partly, there's a sense of industry here. I think you get it in some big cities, well, a lot of big cities, but there's, you know, it's kind of the cradle of the industrial revolution. Um, and obviously there is good and ill there, but it's always felt very alive and very kind of forward thinking and very creative, mm. like musically and in terms of music and, and all sorts of art forms. I think that the one area, strangely, that we've kind of struggled with in Manchester and I think is really starting to change now is food mm. and drink. That's always, I've always felt we've not quite kind of, there are other much smaller cities who seem to have much more diverse food scene, but it's definitely, that's absolutely transformed. Maybe over that's the last because of 20 years. It might be because of the, our working class past where Maybe. a priority has never been a big fancy dish. No, and I think. I think there's there's a bit of this. It's very true that in Manchester restaurants that are too fancy and where there's a barrier, any kind of barrier, don't do particularly well. And I think there's an idea that that's kind of that's not for us. So yeah. I think you know that's Simon Wood said exactly that when he yeah. was in. He said yeah. exactly the same thing. But I was just I was just going to say that the, the the time I decided that I was going to move back to Manchester, I was living in Bray and I'd been there for four years, and I came back on, to visit some friends for the weekend. And I was driving up Oxford Road past the uni buildings and up towards where it turns into kind of the red brick buildings. And I was just like, and the sun was shining on the, the buildings. I was just like, I've just got to come back. Yeah. I, I can't stay away any longer. It's addictive, isn't it? It is. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. What are your favourite places to eat, apart from your establishments in the city? What yeah. are your favourite restaurants, Muriel? In Manchester, uh, there's quite a few. So um, Umazushi, I absolutely adore, have always loved Umazushi very much. And it's very small and uh, they just really care about what they do. They buy lovely ingredients and make the most incredible sushi. Is that near the arena? Yeah, yeah it's Mirabelle Street, yeah, just under yeah. the arch. So that's fantastic. And Siam Smiles, I've always been a huge fan of. The head chef there, May, is so talented. She just makes the most beautiful noodle dishes and, and all sorts of Thai food. Then at Hawksmoor, I absolutely love. I love it for, for a big dinner, but I also like the bar for meeting people. It's so consistently good. I love El Gato Negro. I've not been to Canto yet, the new one, but um, El Gato's amazing. I love cocktail beer, ramen and bun. I can't eat there because I'm celiac and they don't do anything gluten-free. Oh, really? Which is really annoying. And they should sort that out. But but they do the most incredible cocktails as well. Really beautiful. So, I mean, I could 
I could probably go on for hours. I'll stop there. But there's right. yeah, we've got a really wonderful, thriving food and drink scene um, nowadays, and it's really lovely to see. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it is great. If I was to ask you, Mary Ellen, who are your favourite humans of Manchester ever? Who would they be? Um, Elizabeth Raffold. She was a uh, an 18th century cookbook writer. She had quite a lot of children, um, as people did in those days. Quite a lot of them didn't survive into adulthood. She had a husband who was, I think, drank away all the money that she ever made. But she was just really, really hardworking and really inspirational. She set up a domestic service agency. She worked away from being someone who worked in service herself to writing cookbooks, to running an agency for, for domestic staff, to, you know, she just kept going and going. Um, so she's she's a huge inspiration. And I'd really love to do some kind of dinner or event to celebrate her life at some point. And she, she was Mancunian? Yes. <clears throat> well, she was, uh, she actually, I think she ended up passing away in Stockport, but her work was very much in, in Manchester city centre. Um, so there's her. You're probably not allowed... Like all of your friends, are you? Yeah, you can have anybody you want. But I want all show. of my friends. All your friends. Oh, it's one thing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay, so they are just they 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 they're definitely my adopted family. Through you know, life has its ups and downs, and they have all just been the most incredible, constant support. But they're also loads and loads of fun. You know, yeah. like life is definitely uh, much better with them around. So yeah, they're really important to me. And then I would say, Kate Mountain. Katie Mountain. Katie Mountain. Legend. She, apart from being a really close friend, so she's kind of in the other group. You know, she's she's been my business partner. Um, she's been really important for the city and mm. for music in the city and for actually music countrywide, worldwide. You know, she's kind of the, the place that she ran has been the starting point for so many careers. You know, and she just she's just been so generous with her time and her affection and her attention and and really... You know, she's she's someone who likes to kind of see people go off and succeed, and mm. she's she's made it a mission that that she helps with that. So yeah, her. Yeah. She, there should be a plaque. Were you a friend of John McBeef? Uh, he um, he was my boss when I first started at the Roadhouse. Mm. So I knew him a little bit as my boss, and then I, I moved away. I think Kate and Steve Lloyd, yeah. uh, you know, who passed away sadly, yeah. um, I think it was five years ago now. They bought it from John. Right. Just as I was leaving to go off and, and cook. Yeah. So I met him a few times, mm. but I didn't know him well. Yeah, he's another legendary figure yeah. that's uh, no longer with us, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, still here in spirit, though. Uh, before you go, Mary Ellen, yeah. describe Manchester in three words. Um, industrious. Uh, creative. And I'm trying to think of one word that encapsulates about 50 other things. <laughs> uh Oh, alive. Beautiful. That'll do. Mary Ellen McTagg, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. That was Mary Ellen McTagg. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to former professional footballer and the first signing by Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, Alan Tong. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us. Feel free to leave us a review. We love getting your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.